0: The following audio is from Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee, where our mission is to follow Christ and His mission of loving people, places, and things to life. For more information about Christ Presbyterian Church, please visit ChristPres.org.
1: Today's scripture reading is from Mark 14, verses 12 through 21. And on the first day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, His disciples say to Him, And the disciples set out and went to the city and found it just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. And when it was evening, he came with the twelve, and as they were reclining at the table and eating, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They began to be sorrowful and to say to him, one after another, Is it I? He said to them, It is one of the twelve one who is dipping bread into the dish with me. For the Son of Man goes as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to Christ. Christ.
0: Thanks, Olivia. Well, good morning, everybody. We're in uh, the season that Uh, Christians all over the world refer to as Lent. It's the 40 days leading up to Easter, and it's a season of reflection uh, on a couple of things that that, uh, John Newton, the the writer of the hymn Amazing Grace, said as he was about to die. I am a great sinner, and Jesus Christ is a great Savior. Uh, Today we're going to look uh, at uh, both of those uh, through the story of Judas the betrayer, and uh, we've all been betrayed, and we've all been the betrayer, and so this is a it's a relevant text for sure uh, for every one of us. But I'll start with a story from our New York City days. There was a friend of mine and I. We were uh, we were heading uh, through the Bronx, through one of the the higher crime, actually one of the highest crime neighborhoods in the world and uh, my friend was driving and he got a flat tire and so we had to sort of you know hobble our way to the closest gas station. It was a dark night, it was raining. Uh, we didn't know anybody in the area and the community. We were completely dependent on on somebody to help us. He didn't have a spare and so the tire needed to be fixed or replaced or something. And so we stop at this gas station, we're looking around, we don't really know who's gonna help us. And out of the bushes comes this man uh, dressed in a, a plastic trash bag, uh, I guess to, as, his rain, you know, as his rain jacket, uh, his makeshift rain jacket. And uh, he says, I noticed that you have a flat tire. I can help with that. I know how to change flat tires. And we looked at each other and said, okay, uh, this looks like our only option. And he actually had tools. He brought him out changed the tire, fixed, you know, fixed you know, the hole in the tire. And after he was done, we said, you know, that's really kind of you. What do, what do we owe you? And, and he said, oh, nothing. Uh, you know, helping people is one of my favorite things to do, and, and, and uh, it's really like its own reward. And we said, okay, well, well, well thank you very much. Uh, what's your name? And he said, my name is Hitler. His parents named him Hitler. And One of the things that struck me in that moment is a bad name associated only with evil can be redeemed. There's another name in Scripture, it's the name betrayer. And we've got, you know, history's most infamous infamous betrayer in front of us, Judas, but we've got another one named Peter, who betrayed Jesus just as publicly and just as insidiously in many ways as Judas did, and yet over time, the name betrayer through Peter's life was redeemed, whereas through Judas's life, it just became this this epic true life tragedy. And so, what I want to do today is examine through this account uh, something that… Solzhenitsyn said about good and evil. He says the line of good and evil, or I'm sorry, the line separating good and evil passes not through states, nor between classes, nor between political parties either, but the line separating good and evil passes right through every human heart and through all human hearts. And inside of us, that line between separate, uh, that separates good and evil oscillates. It goes back and forward. And so, let's talk about Judas, specifically with reference to the stories of our lives. Let's talk about the Judas within us, and then the Jesus who is for us, and then the grace that's in front of us. And so, The Judas who is within us. This is the Passover, which is you know the annual uh, meal uh, for the Jewish community, for Israelites everywhere, uh, sort of commemorating and celebrating Israel's salvation uh, through the Red Sea uh, from Pharaoh, the Egyptian Pharaoh. And Jesus has arranged a room. He's arranged a table. And it says that as the twelve were reclining at the table and eating, Jesus said to them, truly I say to you, one of you will betray me. So let's, let's emphasize those two words for a minute. One of you. The, the, the word you there, as it usually is in the New Testament, is plural. In other words, it could be any of you. It could be any of you. And they knew that. Notice nobody says, oh, I know exactly who he's talking about. He's talking about Judas. I mean, we all know it's Judas, right? Nobody knew it was Judas except Judas. Everybody else, one by one, instead of being accusatory, it says, is sorrowful. Everybody's sad because to betray Jesus is also to betray the group. Is it me? One by one, they started asking the question, Lord, is it I? And there's this self-awareness that this reveals This self-awareness is actually a fruit of starting to understand the true nature of the gospel and the true nature of what it means to be in relationship with God through Jesus. Because this self-awareness that they all had over, over, you know, three years face to face with Jesus leads to the conclusion that the greatest evil, the greatest darkness, the greatest corruption in the world is not outside of me it's inside of me, as far as I'm concerned. As far as I'm concerned, the greatest evil, the greatest corruption, the greatest darkness is inside of me. And you could say it this way, the more holy and virtuous we become, the less holy and virtuous we feel. It's a paradox. You know, we see this happening with the prophet Isaiah, one of the, one of the most holy, virtuous, righteous people in all of Israel, and he has a, an encounter, a visual encounter with the glory of God. And his immediate response is, woe is me. I am ruined. I'm a man of unclean lips. I'm unclean. The problem with the world isn't out there. It's not those other people. It's not the Canaanites. It's not, you know, Jew, Jewish, my fellow Jewish people who are worshiping idols. The problem is with me. I am unclean. My eyes have seen the king, and so I see this more clearly, my own uncleanness. The same thing happened to the apostle Peter. When Jesus is just teaching, he's just teaching. And Peter's sitting there taking it in with all the crowds and Peter has this moment, and, and he says, Lord, please go away. Go away, because I, I can't abide your presence. I, I am a sinful man relative to, to who you are. You know, The Apostle Paul, we talk about this a good bit in our church, about his evolving self-awareness uh, through his writings, his earlier letters. He refers to himself as Paul, an apostle, Later, he refers to himself as Paul, the least of all the apostles. Later, he's the least of all Christians, uh, you know, the least of all the saints. And at the end of his life, he, he refers to himself as the chief of all sinners. The more virtuous, the more holy, the more sanctified, the more pure Paul becomes, the more dirty he feels. What, 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 what's going on there? How can, how can this be? So, for a second, Close your eyes, and if you're uncomfortable closing your eyes physically, just shut off the thought of everything except these few words that I'm just about to say, and I want you to picture in your mind the face that that, that you think of first when you hear these words. What face comes to mind when you hear the word sin? What face when you hear the word evil, or greed, or hypocrisy, or betrayal, When Rembrandt painted his famous portrayal of this text of the Last Supper, he threw a self-portrait in there. He put his face on the face of one of the disciples, Judas. Rembrandt identified more with Judas than anybody else at this Last Supper. What face do we think of when we hear words like hypocrisy and sin and betrayal and evil What the disciples are showing us with their question, is it I, is that a maturing faith is going to be increasingly awakened to the gap between God and me. And and over time, the first face I'm most likely to see as I mature is not going to be somebody else's face, whoever the Judases are in my life, but my own. That's part of what maturing looks like. Mel Gibson's another example, The Passion of the Christ, which is, you know, his, his artistic portrayal of, of, of Christ, you know, and his death and, and the events leading up to his death. And there's one, one appearance that Mel Gibson makes in the movie The Passion of the Christ, and it's only one part of Mel Gibson. It's his hand holding the hammer, uh, driving the nail into Jesus Christ on the cross. Gibson is, is identifying with the betrayer's is it I, is, is, if you've never asked that question, you haven't understood the gospel yet. If you have understood, asked that question, if you came in, even in the sanctuary today, asking that question, you are not far from the kingdom of God. It actually might be a sign that you're in. There's this, this, this humility and this, this raw, awakened honesty about the darkness that's inside of us that Christ, you know, creates both you know, the, the, the climate and, and the safety and protection for us to be that honest. You know, you hear the words, one of y'all will betray me, the, the, the more awake you are to reality, the, the, the first thing you're going to think of is, is not Judas, but You. the way that we respond to criticism, you know, is really revealing as well because, you know, early on in the maturing process, if somebody offers a critique, even a constructive one, we, we, we sort of bow up and we say, how dare you? But over time, as we grow and mature and somebody offers a critique, the more mature we are, the more likely we're to say, is that all you've got? You don't know the half of it. See, the, there's a superficial way to look at sin, and then there's a, a deep and gospel way. The superficial way is you know, think that sin is just about behaviors, and, and if I avoid all the wrong behaviors, then I avoid sin. Well, Judas did that. For three years, he was preaching the gospel to people, he was healing people, he was advocating for the poor externally, but, but there was something going on beneath him, something ulterior, something that suggested that, that, that he, he looked to God as a means to an end, and his connection to Jesus as a means to some other end, rather than Jesus being the end in himself. You know, in the same way that I started drinking coffee in college, not because I had any interest in college, but I had interest in a girl that liked coffee. Over time, eventually, I fell in love with coffee. I can't start a day without it. Even if I have the flu, I'll, I'll suck some down because I just there's something in me that just feels like I have to have it, right? I drink it for its own sake, but it didn't start that way. Judas never obeyed or followed Jesus for his own sake. There was always something ulterior going on underneath there, and, and we get a clue as, as the, uh, the telling of his story unfolds that his chief motivation was economic, He was the treasurer of the money bag. You know, he's the one who kept the money bags that that funded Jesus and the disciples in their ministry, and that funded their their ministry to the poor as well. And it says that Judas would regularly dip his hands into the money bag and take it for himself. When he sells Jesus out, when he betrays Jesus, he does so for 30 pieces of silver, which was the standard price for a slave during those days. It gives new meaning to, 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 to Paul the Apostle's words. You know, there are some who look at godliness as a means for financial gain. Maybe Paul was thinking of Judas when he wrote those words. Or maybe Paul was thinking of Paul. Who knows? But what we're talking about here is, is what Nietzsche referred to as the will to power. There, there, there's, there's a driving force to gain leverage, to gain power, to gain uh, uh, reputation, that, that masks itself in religion. That's what's going on with Judas. He's never interested in getting the face of God. He's just interested in getting whatever God can deliver to him. You know, there, there are these seeds in all of us. I mean, Jesus talks about it in the Sermon on the Mount, you know, where he says, you know, there, there's a way to pray in, in the same way that there's a way to preach a sermon, you know, to do your religion publicly. You know, beware if you're a teacher or if you pray or if you, you know, do public religion stuff, like what I'm doing right now, you can do really wonderful, marvelous, world-changing things for all the wrong reasons. Ambition in the heart is a tricky thing. Or or if you have lust in in your heart, Jesus says if you've so much as lusted, you've already committed adultery. If you've so much as, as hated somebody, held a grudge against somebody, you've already murdered them. You know, to assassinate somebody's character through gossip and slander, that's the same thing as assassinating their person. You know, Jay Sklar from Covenant Seminary says that that, that, that that slandering somebody is just like throwing acid in the face of their reputation, talking about them instead of talking to them. All this is going on. It's in our hearts. All it takes is a seed. Maybe you haven't done it, but the potential's in you, and because the potential's in you, you need Jesus just as much as Judas or Peter or anybody else did to be delivered from what's in you. I mean, all you need, all you need is is one little HIV virus, which is one-sixtieth the size of a single red blood cell to have death residing in you. And if it's not blocked, if it's not dealt with, if its progress is not stopped, it will kill you even though even if you don't become symptomatic after a while all it takes is that little bit all it takes is one single little cancer cell one little tiny microscopic bit of salmonella to destroy you the same is the case with the seeds of Sin. You remember Andrea Yates, 2001, the 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 mother who had you know this moment of 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 panic as a mother, and and she felt completely overwhelmed as the mother of five young children, and she drowned all five of them. Do you remember that story? I remember we were uh, Patty and I were in a in a small group Bible study group um, during that season, and we 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 met with our small group a couple nights after this tragic story broke. And somebody in the group said, I, I don't know how, I don't know what brings a person, how could you possibly, what could possibly bring you to this, the place where you could do something like that? And, 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 and one of the women in the group, who, who we knew as one of the kindest, most invested, tender hearted mothers in the whole group, raised her hand and said, I could have done it. It could have been me. I have those moments all the time where I'm triggered and, and I'm terrified. Uh, about, what, about the tornado that happens in me when, when my kids' noise and their out-of-controlness triggers me. I'm terrified of what I have the. I could have been me. See, does that surprise you? That, that, that a tender-hearted mother Christian woman would admit something like that publicly? Is it I? That is the most Christian question that somebody could ever ask. But there's hope. It's not just the Judas is within us. There's also the Jesus who is for us. He doesn't just say, one of you will betray me. He says, one, just one of you, is going to be named the betrayer. One of you and only one of you is going to be named the son of perdition. So take heart. All of you who are asking if it's me, the very fact that you're asking that question, is it I, is an indication that you're not that person. Let's look first at Jesus' kindness to the one, though. This is staggering. You know, Jesus, long before this night, knew the identity of the person that was going to betray Him. He knew it was Judas. And in that moment, Judas knew it was Judas, and yet Jesus invites him to the meal. He invites him to the most, you know, intimate, important, historic feast ever. He invites him into the inner ring of that moment, knowing that he was going to be betrayed. And the other thing that happens is Jesus does not out him. He doesn't disclose to the other disciples, oh, it's going to be him. There's no gossip. There's no shaming. There's no scolding. There's no piling on. None of it. It's as if Jesus is saying, by saying to the group, he's, he's protecting Judas. He's protecting The name, the good name of a bad man, in the same way that two of Noah's sons covered him up when he got drunk while the other wanted to expose him. There's something powerful about protecting even the name of of the one who would betray him. It's as if Jesus is secretly saying to Jesus, I see you, I know what you're up to, and I know what you're about to do. We both know it, but I'm not going to humiliate you. You're going to do things that, that are going to humiliate me, but I am not going to humiliate even you. You know, Donald Carson, uh, Trinity theologian from Chicago, says that this is the final act, this is Jesus' final act of courtesy and love toward Judas. And Tim Keller says about this text that Jesus does not want to shatter Judas, He wants to melt him. He doesn't want to condemn him. He wants to convict him. This is perfect thread-the-needle gentleness, the most amazing meshing of justice and sensitivity. You know, you go all the way to the end when when Judas is is in the act of betraying Jesus with that dreadful, tragic, terribly ironic kiss, And, and, and Jesus turns to Judas and he says, friend, do what you've come to do. Isn't that crazy? Why on earth? I think the answer to the why on earth question is right here in verse 21 in the word woe. And Jesus says, woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not even been born. Now, this word woe is a compassion word. It's not a shaming, scolding word. It's a compassion word. It's as if he's saying, oh, Judas. Deep sigh. You know, Jesus is sitting here having spent three solid years with Judas, having created Judas, and he's foreseeing the tragic end for this pathetic man. And the the most tragic thing about Judas is that Judas agrees with Jesus. It it would have been better if I hadn't even been born. And he goes off all alone, isolated, alone in the world, and takes his own life. Utterly tragic. Do you have compassion for Judas? Or are you one of those people who, you know, you believe in hell because Jesus talked a whole lot about it, but you're actually glad it's there for other people? In my world, that's what you call a non-Christian, somebody who thinks that way. Somebody who delights in the death and perishing and tragedy and torture of somebody that, you know, is not on your good side. In Ezekiel chapter 33, the Lord says this, As I live, declares the Lord, I have, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked. But that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn back, turn back from your evil ways. For why will you die, O house of Israel? Why? Maybe you're one of those folks in here, kind of wrestling with things. Maybe you're you've come to the place, or maybe you're almost about to come to the place where where you're saying, you know what, Christianity, not for me. You know, there's this and this and this. Just I, I can't get on board with this and this and this. I want to urge you to to know for certain what you're walking away from before you do. Because what you're walking away from, what Judas walked away from ultimately is this, love, freedom, the undoing of shame and every negative verdict against you that people hold against you and that you hold against yourself. The undoing and unraveling of all of those negative verdicts and all of that shame, a community that's life-giving, and, 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 and the promise that you'll live forever. And that whatever torture you're going through, whatever isolation, whatever emotional, you know, thing that's going on in you, whatever alienation you're experiencing, obliterate it. World without end, that's, that's the future. That's the worst-case scenario for those in Christ. That's what you would be walking away from. You know, judgment in the Bible, if you go to Romans 1, there's a very passive dynamic to, to, to judgment. Judgment is when God says, okay, you want me to stop pursuing, I'm going to stop pursuing you now. It says that God hands them over. If you look at the, if you look at the, the, the original language, that handing over is, is essentially God removing His hand to, to, to leave us to our own decisions and to our own choices. There are essentially two options for every single person. Submit to God's will. And to submit to God's will is this, to submit to being forgiven, to submit to being delighted in, to submit to being received and and, and enveloped and embraced and included and and given a place of belonging in the kingdom of God and and being given an opportunity to become the very best, the very very most life-giving and beautiful version of what God has made you to be. That is submission to Jesus. That's the end game of it. And the other is to insist that God submit to your will by just leaving you alone. And eventually God will if we persist in insisting that He submits to our will that He leave us alone, but that's only going to end up wearying us. You know, Jesus says, come to Me, all you weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. We go to any other place and, and we're just going to be adding burdens. both now and forever. But Jesus is also so kind to the rest of them, not just to Judas, but to all the rest of them. Because all of them, like Judas, had betrayed Jesus, or were going to. if you go to verse 50, it says that Jesus is arrested, Judas gives him that tragic kiss, and it says that every last one of them left, every last one of them bailed, every last one of them fled. Peter's parents could have named him Judas. He did many of the very same things that Judas did. This is the nature of Peter. He's duplicitous. It's our nature, too. You know, you go to Matthew 16, and in one sentence, you know, Peter is saying, Jesus, you are the Christ, the Messiah who is to come. You're the Son of the living God. And then in the next, you know, in in the same conversation, just a couple minutes later, You know, Jesus starts talking about the kind of death he's going to die, and and Peter says, oh, no, 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 that can't happen happen to you. You're the Messiah. You're the king. You're the man. That can't happen to you. And one moment, Jesus says, you're the rock. And the next moment, Jesus says, you are Satan. Get behind me. You're a stumbling block to me. You know, the duplicity is is essentially the story of Peter's life. After the rooster crows three times, you're going to deny me three times. And yet by the end of the gospel of Mark, we we get there and the angel of the Lord appears to the women who are the only ones who show up at at the tomb of Jesus. And and, and the angel announces that Christ is risen. And, And what does the angel say to the women? Go tell the disciples, go tell all of those people who fled in cowardice, to protect their own hide, tell all those people who betrayed him, who sold him out, who abandoned him, tell all of them. I'm coming to them. Tell especially Peter. Tell the others and Peter, it says in Mark, that I'm coming to them to meet with them in Galilee, to assure them of my love, to comfort them, that they are not defined or reduced in my mind or in my heart to the very worst things that they've done. And then he offers to Peter a triple conviction. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? What a hard question that is to be asked after you've betrayed Jesus three times. Yes, Lord, yes, yes. And then triple grace. I've got a job for you to do. We're not done yet. Go feed my lambs. Go feed my sheep. Go feed my lambs. You're my guy. The grace that's in front of us is the same grace that was in front of Peter on that resurrection day. The difference between Judas and Peter is this. Judas betrayed Jesus twice. First, by insulting his love, by selling him out for 30 coins. The second time he betrayed Jesus was in refusing to receive the forgiveness and grace and new beginning that's held out to anyone who will receive it. See, Peter also acted the coward. Peter also betrayed the Lord and Master. You know, Peter said to three different people, I never knew him. And Jesus comes back to him and says, I've always known you. There's no depart from me, I never knew you. It's it's, come into my rest because I've always known you. Even when you were in the act of betraying me, I knew you and I knew you'd circle back. Now feed my sheep. That same grace that was there for them is also there for us. That was the first Passover meal, by the way, where there was no lamb on the table. There was no meat there because Jesus' role was not to serve the Passover meal. It was to become the Passover feast. This is my body. This is my blood. And, And that's what's in front of us now, the same feast that was in front of Peter and Judas and all the rest saying, this is my body and blood given for you, one and all. And so whatever that worst thing is about you that makes you hate yourself the most, that, that, that you're most ashamed to, to voice, to verbalize, to vocalize to somebody else, that, 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 that makes you feel on the inside, is it I? Am I the betrayer? Whatever it is, there is nothing so big, so dark, so dirty, so insidious, that it's beyond the capacity of God to forgive and grant mercy and freedom and welcome. These things are trustworthy and true. Will you receive them? Let's pray. Our Lord, thank you for your assurances, your blessed assurances, that for every betrayal that we commit against you, for every duplicitous act and season and moment of our lives, for every moment that we ask the question, is it I? Am I the betrayer? Am I the son or daughter of a perdition? Or as Paul asked a very similar question, wretched man that I am, who will rescue me from this body of death? The answer that Paul Discerned from the Holy Spirit is the same answer that you give to us today. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. But not only this, there is also no separation from the love of God that's in Christ. Once we're yours, we're yours eternally, Father. And we thank you that it's your grip on us, not our grip. On you that will get us home. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.